So for me, it was almost like disappointment that came my way or anything that I felt like I wasn't achieving meant let's take some more calories away. So I'm disappointed. I feel bad about myself. Let's go down to 14. I didn't make the team. I got a C on one of my first tests. Let's go back down to 12. So slowly as I wasn't doing well that year and meeting my goals is when I started cutting the calories, working out even more, but using workouts instead of enjoying it as punishment for you didn't do well. So it had completely changed how I'd even looked at exercise, how I'd looked at food, and it was more of my way of handling disappointment that I'd felt. So, Sort of something that you felt like you could control when other stuff wasn't really going your way. Exactly. I was so worried that people could make fun of me for failing a class or not making the team I'd wanted. So in my head, it kind of seemed like, well, at least they can't say that I'm overweight or that I'm not in shape. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. This episode is one of a series of Pursuing Health stories. Here, I feature the inspiring stories of regular, everyday people who've used lifestyle to overcome some incredible health challenges. But before I dive in, I do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. I recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Hey guys, so for this week's story episode, I am sitting down with the amazing Becky Fox, who shares her story of using CrossFit to overcome an eating disorder. After many ups and downs over the years since her disorder started in high school, today Becky continues to do CrossFit. She's an L1 trainer and affiliate owner. She recently got married and she's working as a school counselor after graduating with her master's this past May. I loved hearing about Becky's story in this conversation, including how CrossFit helped her to overcome her eating disorder, how we can best support others who are struggling, and how she is using her past experiences to help the future generation in her new role as a counselor. Before we dive into the episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. Now, let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am very excited to be here with Becky Fox. So thank you so much for taking the time to and being willing to share your story with us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm very excited. And we were just talking before we started recording, we just were talking about how we featured your story on the blog um, recently, but I am really excited to get into some more of the details here on the podcast and also to be able to share it with a wider audience. But in that blog post, you said you made the statement, I cannot thank CrossFit enough because it literally saved my life. And so I want to unpack all of that, but I thought let's start first at the beginning. Um, where does your story with eating disorders begin? So I would say the very beginning, um, I think everyone when they're going through that middle school stage has that awkward growth stage, right? Um, your body's changing, you're getting hormones. And I think for me, I had an issue with a class I had to take my seventh and eighth grade year. Um, I was bullied by a group of guys. Mm -hmm. And when I was in seventh grade, um, you know, growing up, we didn't talk about like working out or eating healthy really in my house. It was just one of those things that, um, you know, my parents were very busy. They worked 
hard. And so um, we kind of just ate whatever was there or they just didn't have time to work out. So I didn't grow up with that kind of influence at all. And I think, um, so for me, I was a little bit on the heavier side, you know, in the awkward growing stage. And um, they chose to use that to make fun of me with. So I think that's where some of my self-consciousness grew. And then um, eighth grade year, I got to start get active. Um, I got to do volleyball. And with that, I started actually getting to get a little bit more in shape. And um, then the comments kind of became more um, talking about me uncomfortably and in other ways. And so then it kind of left me thinking like, what is, what is my body supposed to be? Like, what, what are these expectations that I should be meeting? Cause I feel like people aren't happy either way, kind of. And so I think, you know, um, that was kind of the precursor to getting some of that self-consciousness. Um, I've always been very goal oriented, um, high achieving. And so when I went to high school and I got out of that class and away from that group, um, I got to be a part of so many groups and clubs and got to do volleyball and swimming. And um, so my first two years of high school were great and I made so many great connections, was so active. And then I think I wanted to get to make varsity volleyball my junior year. That was one of my goals. I had so many goals for um, my junior year. I'd already taken um, advanced placement classes and I had kept a 4.0 those two years. And wow. so that was another goal. I wanted to keep my 4.0. Um, I was going to take four advanced classes. Uh, as a junior? I, huh? A sophomore or a junior? Um, as a junior. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, that summer, it was the first year or summer that I'd ever done weightlifting. I actually went to um, a different high school in the town to do their weight program, and I fell in love with it. I enjoyed it so much. I got to really get that competitive side out, um, got to get my lifts up. We did a lot of fun activities. And then um, I started learning too. Like, I think anybody can get on the internet and search um, how to get in shape or how to lose weight because I was concerned about it. And I think, you know, you're going to get a plethora of different options, lots of different advice. Um, and as a teenager, I think I didn't understand like what's a good source and what's not. So you have anything from saying, you know, eat 2000 calories to 1500 to even less or more, you know? And I think for me in my head, not understanding, you know, how body works and how to fuel it correctly for, um, exercise for me, I think, like I just went with the lowest one because why not? You know, it'll give me the best results. Just get there faster. <laughs> exactly. So um, mixing with doing weights in the morning, I had um, open gyms for volleyball during the day. Um, I would typically do, I'd first started getting into high intensity interval training at that point. Loved it. Thought it was great. Um, <laughs> so I would do that night too. And so mixing all of that together with eating a lot less calories. And again, my parents not really understanding how even counting calories works. Um, they didn't really know like what that looked like, just like I didn't. And I think from there, the beginning of the year just went downhill for me. Um, volleyball tryouts happened and I didn't make the team that I wanted. Um, and then, so for me, it was almost like disappointment that came my way or um, anything that I felt like I wasn't achieving meant let's take some more calories away 
So um, I'm disappointed. I feel bad about myself. Let's go down to 14. I didn't make the team. Um, I got a C on one of my first tests. Let's go back down to 12. So slowly as I wasn't doing well that year and meeting my goals is when I started cutting the calories, working out even more, but using workouts instead of enjoying it as punishment for you didn't do well. So it had completely changed um, how I'd even looked at exercise, how I'd looked at food, and it was more of my way of handling disappointment that I'd felt. So, Sort of something that you felt like you could control when other stuff wasn't really going your way. Exactly. I was so worried that people could make fun of me for failing a class or not making the team I'd wanted. So in my head, it kind of seemed like, well, at least they can't say that I'm overweight or that I'm not in shape. So as this is going on, when did you first start to realize that maybe something wasn't right or that something was wrong with the way that you were approaching restricting calories and exercising? It took a lot of intervention from family and friends. I truly could not see it. Um, it's the oddest thing when you're going through that. To me, I was on cloud nine because I was, um, instead of focusing on classes or what I was doing, I remember sitting in my classrooms and I would write over and over and over again what I'd had that day and double, triple checking and checking again. Because to me, my new goal had become um, how much I was eating. And if, if I had made it under the calorie amount that I had for that day, like good for me, I even did better today. And so um, to me, I saw that as a good thing and that I didn't understand it wasn't good. Um, I think the first time that I met the intervention was I went to the doctor's office and I hadn't had my period for I think a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of saying, like, kind of trying to allude to the fact of, hey, you're not being too healthy right now. And to me, I was just so confused because to me, I was purifying my body. I was doing what I needed to. And I was just, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, and then um, from there, I could definitely tell my friends and family got very concerned. I think when it started affecting my socialization is when I started noticing it more. Um, I would always, I was always very active, very social with my friends going and doing whatever. And all of a sudden I didn't want to go do things because, um, going and being with friends and going and being with other people typically meant doing dinner or having food somewhere along the way. And I was so scared of having to always say no or turn it down or be rude, um, that it was just easier to avoid it. And I think a lot of, um, I started moving towards having some OCD tendencies, um, specifically about like dishes and um, like having, I call it like my food, quote unquote. Um, it was what I allowed myself to have and what I was okay with. But even like, uh, it affected so much of my life, even grocery shopping, like what I touched and what I didn't. And that um, I had to do my dishes and make sure it was like the towel I'd used or, you know, the utensils or whatever just for all these fears that the disorder built in my head about um, what could be on it or if they hadn't washed it well, if there was like an ounce of oil on it or something. So I think when it started getting out of my hands at that point and it just wasn't functional for my life anymore is when I started noticing. And so you said it seemed like your friends and family noticed the most when it started changing your social patterns. What were some of the things, and it, it probably took several different interventions before it finally kind of 
sunk into you? What were some of the things or the ways that your family or friends approached you during that time to try to talk to you about it? I think it's a very touchy subject. And I think um, when people see something like this happening, it, it sparks concern and I think sometimes fear. And so I know with at least my family, um, sometimes fear can then turn into anger <laughs> and um, not reacting in a way that's necessarily constructive for the person. So we had a lot of damaged relationships through that just because um, my sister and I were just talking about this a little bit ago. You know, there was a point where not spending time with her and saying, no, I don't want to be around you. She didn't realize that was the disorder making the decisions for me. And she was just taking it personally like, well, you don't want to be around me. You don't care about me anymore. And, um, you know, we were hitting that point too. Eventually, as this continued and it got worse, where it was kind of this teeter-totter of if this continues, she might not be around. And I think, you know, again, that's where that fear sparks. And I think they lashed out a little bit. But it was only in love, and I can look back at that now. But some of those interventions were not necessarily the um, most ideal. But some of them, you know, were good sit-downs about, um, you know, where can we go from here? What does this look like? I remember specifically one intervention with one of my friends. I went and I showed up to my junior prom. And I remember going, and I was so excited. I I'd bought a dress, and um, – I remember when we went and bought it, my mom was crying more because she was just, she could see what my body looked like and I didn't. And I showed up and I just remember so many looks of, at the time my brain was telling me it was judgment, but really in hindsight it was concern. And one of my friends just had to tell me like, I'm very worried about you. Like, what can we do? And, um, so a lot of interventions like that, that were more out of fear, and then we could come to a common ground and talk about it. But I was definitely not open to talking about it at first. <laughs> any, any tips then for other people who may have a family member or friend going through a similar situation for how best to approach it or, or advice, you know, maybe just being persistent, maybe it's going to take a little bit of time? You know, just being there for them. Um, I know for me, I was just worried that nobody had true intention of being around me, um, that they were just kind of going through the motions of being around me and just telling them, like, I'm here for you through this, um, you know, even if you can't see what's going on. Like, just having that support makes such a difference. For sure, for sure. And like you said earlier, realizing that maybe some of the things that you're doing or saying may be more of the disorder, speaking then who you really are and, and recognizing that, um, as someone. Well, and, oh, and for me, I know that, um, my emotions were just up and down and through the roof. So I would go through spurts of just being very angry and very defensive and screaming. And I cried so much. There's just so much about your emotions. You can't regulate. And, um, you're just in pain all the time and you're tired and you don't, you're fighting every body signal going on. And so I think um, understanding that, you know, if there is, like you were saying, that hostility or, you know, sometimes what they do is the disorder, not them. For sure. And it is sort of this vicious circle, right? Where when your body's not getting the fuel it needs, all of a sudden, it's really hard to control your emotions. It's really hard to do, you know, think clearly or do anything um, like you normally would because your body's just not getting the nutrients that it needs. Yes. 
Um, okay. So there was a point that you mentioned that you actually went to the doctor and there was some abnormalities in your blood work and actually were showing some signs of heart damage. And the doctors told you at that point to stop exercising altogether. So can you talk a little bit about that and then how you reacted? Yes. So uh, I already hate needles. <laughs> Not a thing I like. So I, I hit a point where we had to do weekly or biweekly blood work just to keep up. I was anemic at the time and having some damage from it. Um, and they did say like at this point, we can't let her do it anymore. And to me, that, that was uh, shattering. You know, I, it was such an outlet for me. And at the time I didn't have the right intention with it. Um, but it also still was a stress reliever. It was a place that, you know, I could work out, I could go to that place and, you know, all my other worries and stuff wasn't, wasn't there to meet me. And so I remember no high intensity was allowed. Um, the gym that I was going to at the time was actually warned not to let me in. So yeah, so I had tried, and they're like, "No, we can't." Um, and that that in itself, it again, it added a little bit to that embarrassment and that just confusion of what's going on. And um, I remember still sneaking a couple little mini workouts in the room, but um, long walks and lots of time to think <laughs> on those long walks because I was allowed to do that. Um, but that was very hard for me just to go. It was such a big part of my life that. Um, to have stripped away was just one more thing. When the disorder was already taking so much from me, um, that was one of my last last legs I was standing on. So that was tough. And it sounds like you really loved working out. I mean, you talked about in high school doing the weight training and the high intensity intervals and like just you just loved working out and conditioning, which is not something that most high schoolers always love. They more, normally like the sport better than the conditioning, but uh, yeah. that's something that you know really was important to you. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and what, how old were you at this point? Were you still in high school? I was, I was still a junior in high school. Okay. It was like the summer after that. So I was going to about to start being a senior. Okay. Okay. And then at some point it was actually your sister who introduced you to CrossFit. So can you talk about that? Yes. So, uh, <laughs> again, this was after the exercise had just got taken and, um, my sister Mel had been by my side through this whole thing. And she had just moved in with um, one of my now best friends, Maddie. Um, and she, Maddie was actually her brother and sister-in-law at the time owned the gym. Okay. And so she said to Mel, you know, I've seen this actually help people in these situations. You know, maybe it's worth a try. And I know that when she presented it to my parents, it was this moment of total confusion, like the exact opposite of what you would imagine to help somebody who is underweight, under eating, and just got exercise taken. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very odd, um, you know, proposition, but she said if she's going to do it, she gets to do one workout a day. She has to hit a certain caloric value or amount. And then um, she's out of the gym. So she's in for the hour, she's out. And, you know, to me in my head coming from at that point, I'd been doing workouts throughout the whole entire day. To hear that I only get to do one hour did seem scary, but it was still better than nothing. And I knew nothing about it. So I was like, you know what, it's exercise. And why not? Let's give it a go. So, um, so I went and I remember my first workout was Dirty Karen. So oh. lots of wall balls. <laughs> lots of wall balls. 
I had to use, I think, a six-pound ball just because I could not get that ball moving. Everything I started with, I had to start with bare bars. I, I love getting to talk to some of our members about that now when they they get to start that journey because I'm like, I get you. I started with the very bare stuff. <laughs> PVC pipe. Yes. Um, but it was, it was perfect. It's exactly what I needed. You know, Karen in itself isn't a extremely long workout, but you get to go hard during that. And it got me back into that zone of, again, nothing else really matters in that moment besides me getting to work out. And, and that's just, I needed that outlet. So I, uh, I loved it right off the bat. I, uh, I love the exercise. I was terrified of the people at first. <laughs> um, <laughs> That was, you know, you walk into a CrossFit gym and you know you're probably going to be greeted and that people are going to ask you, where are you from? Or, you know, what do you do? And I just remember looking around and, you know, questioning, like, why are they talking to us? Like, we're warming up and we're getting ready for a workout. What's going on? Um, and so that was very difficult for me at first. I was very scared of it because I still, I didn't trust people. And I didn't trust their intentions sometimes. And um, the one thing that I did realize, though, is walking into any other gym that I had, I felt like eyes were on me. And it was that concerned look of, like, why is she here? She doesn't look healthy. Like, what's going on? The second I walked in, I never had anybody give me that look. And the questions were never about anything like that. It was more about who I was and what I like to do. And, you know, um, just trying to get to know me better. And that was very refreshing. Even all of the coaches when I would have, when I'd go to any class, because at the time the coaches were rotating, you know, all of them treated me the exact same um, as anybody else in the room. So that was great. That's amazing. And did you have some, like, were the coaches there clued into what was going on and some of the parameters that you guys had set for you to be able to work out safely? Or what were some of the things that they did that were helpful for you during that period? Yeah, I know that they had talked about it before I came in, so they kind of knew what to expect, um, and they did a very good job of helping me understand that scaling things back didn't mean I wasn't working as hard, and that it's going to take time to build up, but they did a great job of encouraging me, too, every step of the way, and um, I still had my very emotional moments through a lot of that, and some of the hard work, and my body just not being quite used to it and ready, and, you know, they were there every step of the way. Um, and again, never judgmental of anything, which is huge for me to have a place slowly but surely, even though, again, all the socialization, all the new people kind of scared me at first, it slowly became like a home because I could walk in and just ditch my day of how things had gone and just know like these people had good intentions and I was comfortable, I was safe, and I knew like I could be myself, which was um, something that I didn't feel like very many outside places I could be. So for sure. And was it difficult for you to then increase your nutrition or was it, or was it, you know, the motivation to work out was enough and you were able to, to do it? So at first I definitely didn't hit exactly what I needed to. <laughs> I think it was terrifying to me to even consider that amount. And, um, but slowly but surely through doing more, my body was saying, like, you need this. And, you know, the most amazing thing for me with CrossFit was I had, I always had a goal or I always had something to work towards. So I'm, you know, I finally got to where I can put 15s on a plate to clean it. Now I want to get 25s. 
And to do that, I knew to get stronger. And many of the coaches had conversations with me about this. So I wasn't, you know, left on my own, which was huge too, to have people to be able to discuss that with and get knowledge and information. Um, but I slowly had to start eating more and I had to, um, you know, feel my body better to be able to do those things. So it was more because I wanted to do better and because I wanted to reach more goals and do more things that I realized like, okay, I can feel my body. Like this is important and it needs it. That's awesome. Yeah. And during this time, did you have any interactions? I know you said you had, you know, you were seeing the doctor and getting regular blood work, but do you have any interactions with other um, like nutritionists or therapists or other eating disorder programs? So I had met with a nutritionist at one point, and this is where I tell people, same with counselors, same with nutritionists, work to find the one that'll work and match with you because everybody has a different personality type. Everyone will work different. Um, the first one we met with did not, it was not a good mix. <laughs> um, but you know, from there we learned what we were looking more towards. We found someone who was more geared towards, um, exercise nutrition and that helped us a lot. Um, as for counseling, yes. So I'll never forget the first time my parents said I had to go to counseling. And it's funny now that I'm a school counselor. So, and I was already on track to go into counseling, but it's one of those things like the, you don't want to do what you know you're going to do later kind of thing. Or, um, so for me, going to a counselor seems so bizarre. Like I want to be a counselor. Why would I go to one kind of thing? Um, anyways. Yeah. So I was very against it at first. I thank goodness uh, my counselor is very patient because the first couple sessions was a lot of silence and just like nothing. <laughs> Mind you, I'm a teenager too. So there's some attitude in there, I'm sure. But um, from there, we learned how to have a very good working relationship. So I always tell people, you know, with whatever you're going through, it never hurts to have a soundboard which is how I kind of looked at counseling. Like I could tell her about what was going on at the gym. I could tell her about, you know, how that trans over, transformed over to me learning to have more confidence or learning to treat my body better. And, you know, I had someone there to listen while I talked it out and then I could make that connection in my head. So. That's so true. That's so true. And I always say it's better to be, it can't hurt. It's better to be proactive about it than reactive like anything else. Yes. Okay. Um, so then kind of talk to us about the, then this period you're at the gym, you're exercising more, you're meeting your goals in the gym. Um, where is your health at at that point in time? So my health is better. Okay. Um, you know, I've gained more healthy weight, but I think the thing that I kept holding on to was I was still tracking everything I ate. I was still being pretty, um, rigid about what I chose to eat. Okay. I was being more social, but, um, there were still parts of the disorder that I think I was still holding on to. Okay. Um, but as for, you know, functionality and getting to do things, I was doing a lot better, um, good body transformations and just getting stronger and more confident in what I was doing. Okay. And then there came a point where you said you're still kind of holding on to parts of the disorder and it kind of reared its ugly head again and took a turn for the worse. Yes. So I remember it started, I started noticing it after my 21st birthday. So I had this nice little grace period where, you know, things are good. I was like, I've got this, you know, we'll be great. But I still held on to certain things like um, 
Like I would never go without tracking my calories or I wouldn't go without measuring certain foods. And I think, you know, that's where I started noticing at night. I, while I was sick, I had to get up in the middle of the night and have a small snack just to get through sleeping. Um, that was just part of what my body needed to be able to sleep or else I'd be up. And it started becoming more and more though. So instead of it being like, you know, a rice cake, it'd be like the whole pack of rice cakes. Or instead of like a cookie, it'd be the package of cookies. And coming from my background, that was um, very unnerving. Having that control piece and that discipline, I all, like all of a sudden didn't feel like I had that. And I knew, like, I felt crazy doing this because I didn't talk to anybody about it. It's kind of shameful and it's kind of scary. And having the background I did, like, I wouldn't want to tell people that that was the junk I was eating. And so, like, it would happen at night. I'd get up in the morning. At the time, I was working at um, a fitness facility and I opened in the morning. So I'd go, I'd be up all day, I'd go to classes. And then it became this bad cycle where I'd be rigid about what I ate during the day, trying to make up for the calories I ate at night. And then try to sleep through the night without binging so that I could get back on this, like what I imagined was a normal cycle of eating. Never happened. <laughs> the binge kind of always happened. And then I think that's where, again, some of that, you know, shame and the fear of other people with eating disorders comes out. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to be around people. And I was pulling away from the gym. I wasn't working out as much because I was scared there'd be judgment there. Like, why is she gaining weight? Like, what's going on? Um, and, you know, for me, I knew it was getting out of hand when I started not remembering it. And that was terrifying. I remember specifically one time when I was just hitting the wit's end, I put chairs in front of my way to the door of my room. And I'd close the door. I had taped the door like with duct tape and I had signs on each chair saying like, don't do this. Like go back to sleep. You don't want to do it. So I was like, Oh, you know, I'll wake up. I'll read that next morning. Chairs are moved. Tape is gone. And I have like wrappers around me. Wow. And, you and just no, I didn't remember any of it. And so again, that control piece just being completely gone and just, it even caused me a little bit of identity issue because I had kind of identified with that being part of my personality that I did have, I was very good at um, being disciplined about, you know, what I put in my body, how I took care of it. And that's when, you know, Mel saw how desperate I was, my sister, and I ended up moving in with her in her basement. And as crazy as it is, we just took whatever precautions we needed to. We put locks on the fridge. We put locks on all the cabinets. Um, I ended up sleeping in her room, which was the farthest part from the kitchen. And she slept on the couch so that she would hear me if I got up. And it was the worst. <laughs> I hated it. Um, waking up, I'd be almost in this like panic or like that itchy kind of feel like I need to go get something. And there were definitely times that I still tried to stick my hand through a door trying to get in there. <laughs> but um, but you know, through that, we did a lot of journaling. I had a group that through all of my eating disorder issues, um, a group from the gym that's very close to me okay. and we all, they all knew at that point I'd talked to them about what was going on. And, you know, Mel had the idea to do a 90 day challenge of not binging at night. Mm -hmm. So they agreed to all pick something to do for 90 days too. Okay. 
And so it was this idea that, and then it spread to a couple more people in the gym when they heard we were doing one. And so it's, again, part of that community and part of that accountability and just having people that, you know, then if Mel slipped up on hers, I could talk to her about it. Like, hey, what went wrong? Let's discuss it. And, you know, vice versa. If I had a bad day and I snuck out of the house and got something at night, we could talk about it. And so it was so, it's just so cool to see how, um, you can make friends like that and have that kind of community that wants to support you. So that's kind of how I felt with it. Yeah. That's really amazing. And amazing that, you know, you had that connection with them and that trust that you could share these things that were going on that maybe you wouldn't otherwise be comfortable sharing. Yeah. That's super cool. Okay. So after the 90 days, how did things go? (laughs) So they, I can't say that they went perfect. There were still a couple nights here and there that things didn't go great, Um, but it gave me time to really think about what I was doing too. And, you know, the biggest takeaway I think for me was that I still, you know, the two things I still hadn't done was I hadn't let go completely of the control, like the being very rigid with measurements and still counting and tracking. And I still, you know, a big part of it was still some leftover self-hatred from the first disorder. Yeah. And so, you know, those are the two things I really had to work on. And a big part of that was as terrifying as it was at the time, working on intuitive eating. Um, That seemed like the farthest off idea that I would ever try. Um, But it was amazing to see as I started doing that and not measuring as much and really listening to what my body was wanting and needing that my body has all these signals that I had been ignoring for so long. And it told me when I was hungry or when I was thirsty or if I needed sleep. And just to get back in tune and in touch with my body and its signals was huge. Um, And then as for the self-hatred, self-care was something that um, I didn't even consider when I was in my anorexic time. Um, To me, that was, you know, there's a lot of, self-hatred and you have to build to not give yourself what your body needs and to put yourself through that much pain. And, um, and so I had a lot of walls built up and I had a lot of, um, some of that disorder voice still in my head saying like, you don't deserve this. You can't do that. So I had to, it was baby steps. It was, um, taking more showers a week. It was brushing my teeth every day. Um, actually deciding to do my hair sometimes instead of just throwing it up. And, you know, as those baby steps continued and as, you know, I had even more support from my friends and my group, you just start to rebuild that relationship too. So getting back those signals and being in tune with my body mixed with finding learning how to take care of it, that together helped me overcome both. That's amazing. So what does your life and your health look like today? My life is crazy busy, but with all the good things. Um, I just graduated this last year, 2020, um, with my master's. So I had been working as a school counselor last year on a provisional license. So I get to kind of pour into the little kiddos and get to help them with social emotional stuff. Um, We also, a year ago, my husband and sister bought the gym. So we have been getting to help that grow and getting, I think the coolest thing is getting to help so many other people start their journey with CrossFit and get to be a part of a community when, you know, they're coming and talking about like, oh, I was by myself at this gym for so many years. And now they feel like they get to be a part of a group. Um, I think my health 
is probably the best it's been for a while. Again, I'm not measuring and counting and I'm being more intuitive. So if I'm really hungry at breakfast, I'll eat more. If I'm not hungry later, it's not like my brain is saying you have to have this much right now. Um, and so just getting to ride that wave and let my body sit at a weight that it's actually comfortable at and works its best at, um, is great. And just not to have that pain and discomfort. And another thing was I didn't allow myself rest days. And so now to understand the importance of that, um, and just knowing how to even listen to my joints and my body instead of pushing through everything has been huge. Um, I think one of the coolest things with the gym now too is that we now have kids CrossFit and we have an athletic teen program and you know it poses that question of um you know what would it what could things have looked like if I would have found a CrossFit gym you know at that young age and just how cool it is to get to see kids grow up in that kind of environment so with our kids they do a lot of relays they do a lot of team workouts and they get to cheer each other on and with our teens, um, we did we had them do pull-ups this last session. And the girls, when they first came in, were like, we're doing pull-ups? Like, what? And they were so confused. We were like, just trust us, you know? By the end, they were hitting one or two strict ones by themselves, and they were so proud, and they were so excited. And just to even get to see the girls and the guys interact with each other and support one another, I it's just so exciting and kind of just gives me um, comfort that through this process, like I've learned as much as I can and I can help other people too. That's amazing that you're using all of your own experience now to help the next generation. What are some of the things that you think going through the, your own experience, how does that help you when you're working with kids at school or coaching in the gym? I think coaching in the gym, I have a lot of perspective that I've gained through it one way or the other. So, um, you know, I walked so many different lives in the being the overweight, being the underweight, um, working out by myself and only liking that. And so to be able to understand where everybody's kind of coming from and be able to say like, I get it. I've been there. I have been there with a the bear bar <laughs> or I've been there feeling uncomfortable being around people. Cause you feel like you shouldn't be here, you know, and just being able to say like, everyone belongs and that, you know, like this group we talked about, we, our um, slogan is one tough community. And we were trying to think of how do you explain community? And it didn't hit me till we did a workout recently for one of our members. Um, and he had like one last run to go and we ran it with him. And in my head, I had just taken my group counseling class too. And they talk about how the group takes care of the group. And to me, like, that's almost what a CrossFit community is kind of like. Like, the group takes care of the group. If they see a group member struggling or falling behind or someone just needs to be raised up to get, you know, going for a workout, you know, everyone's kind of there for each other. And I think that's so cool to get to see and get to help um, get to run and be a part of and get events and stuff going. So it's awesome to be in this position. And then as a school counselor, getting to just – um you know, talk and start encouraging kids at a young age. And I do a lot of, um, with my lessons doing like self-esteem, like at Christmas time, I did a lesson about self-esteem. And so all those fun things, you know, you can make it age appropriate and start helping them learn some of that at a young age. So that as they get older, they can kind of build into that confidence. That's amazing. That's so amazing. So a lot of this, I think, came through as you're telling your story, but what are some of the specific things or characteristics about CrossFit or your specific gym that you joined 
that made you say you felt like CrossFit saved your life? I think our gym specific, again, it was just feeling like I could be myself there and I had nowhere else to do that. And so honestly, being there to do the workouts and even just when we stuck around and hung out with some of the coaches like Maddie and Mel and Ryan, like having time in that um, a facility. And again, I think you could say this about most CrossFit gyms, that it is a very, um, encouraging and supportive environment. I think it gave me time to even process my thoughts on what was going on, where being in high school, where you have all the drama and so much going on and judgment. And, um, I didn't have time to think, and even being in my own home, just with all the unsettlement of what was going on. Um, for me, that was a place that I could actually take time to be myself and heal and understand that. And I think, again, for me, specific CrossFit, I think is amazing because you always have something you can work towards. You know, great, I just got my ring muscle up. Now I want to get better at my bar muscle ups, or I want to be able to do more of them. Or I just squatted 100, I want to squat 150. Like, what do I need to do to get there? So for me, it's always having something to work towards too that for me, I had to move away from it being physique because that became detrimental for me. So to have it be performance based and on what my body could do versus how it looked was a game changer and what saved my life. That's so huge. That's so huge. And I can certainly relate, you know, on a a smaller level, but I think that's why what attracted me to CrossFit in the first place too, is it was so much more about what your body could do than what you looked like or how many calories you burned that day or anything else that you maybe would get in a traditional rec center like I was working out at in my college. Amazing. Yes. Well, I like to close with three questions that I ask everyone. So the first one is what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? I would say I take time in the morning to meditate and prep for my day. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I try my hardest to get a workout in every day when, and I mean by on my rest days, even just active recovery, whether that's just even going for a walk with my husband or, um, making sure that I'm just taking time to stretch that day. So just at least doing something to help with my body. And then, um, I would say I make sure that I keep connection with my friends. Um, making sure I have a lot of friends that have moved away. So giving them a phone call or checking in with people, um, social interaction is such a big part of health too. And so making sure that um, keeping relationships like that healthy. Absolutely. I love that. One question I didn't ask earlier, but you just made me think of is, um, did you ever find yourself like once you got going with CrossFit, wanting to do more, like wanting to do more sessions or take it to a competitive level or something like that? Or how did you, how did you find the right balance for you with working out? So that, yes, I did. Um, And at the time, even some of the coaches were kind of like, uh, you know, you know, you hit a point where you're doing too much volume and then it doesn't actually help you. And, you know, my brain at that time, I hadn't gone through the binging yet. This was pre that. So to me, more volume and more working out meant good. And um, as long as I'd kept a certain weight, I was allowed to be there doing what I wanted to do. So I think, you know, that might've even been part of what, you know, those underlying factors that brought the binging to was that I was still overworking out too, and just not listening to my body. I was overtraining it. My joints were kind of hurting. Um, so I think, you know, for me, I needed something that really stopped my life and said, Hey, get yourself in check. (laughs) Now, what is your, 
normal routine you do classes or how much are you working out now? So now, um, like on a typical day when I have school, I will go to school during the day. I come, I help with either kids or a quick fit that's after school. And then I will try to hit a class with the group. Um, typically it's a one hour or if I'm going to do one on my own, it's a one hour and then I'm out of there. I'm stretching and I'm gone. So it really helped me also find that quality of life where I knew if I really hit my workouts hard with the intensity that I'm meant to be hitting it with, um, I would still get those benefits and doing three or four workouts at that wasn't going to help me get much better. So quality over quantity can go a long way. Yes. All right. So next question is what is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you haven't implemented it yet or something that you're working on now? That's a tough one. Sounds like you've been through a lot of, a lot of things that are great for your health. So maybe you don't hmm. have one for right now. That's perfectly fine too. I was going to say, I'll have to think on that one. My last question is what does a healthy life look like for you? I would say a healthy life for me, again, is that balance of, you know, everything, that balance of taking care of yourself, also taking care of your loved ones, um, making sure that you are working out because that is important for your body, making sure that, you know, you're putting good fuel in you, but you're still treating yourself, you know, finding, I, I feel like everything I've learned is moderation is a great word. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I thought of an answer for the second question. I would say the one thing that um, would be good for me that I haven't done, I still have kind of a broken relationship. I've been working on my relationship with fats. Okay. Um, that's just part of that anorexia. So um, working on implementing more of those, the good fats, like the salmon and the olive oil and stuff like that. So goals. <laughs> goals. There's always something to work on. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story. And I know it's, you know, vulnerable to, to share stuff like this, but I really appreciate it. And I think a lot of people listening will too. So thank you so much. Um, thank you. And if there's a place where people can find you, I don't know if you're on social media or your gym or a place, if anyone wants to reach out to you where they would be able to do that. If you get on our website, southwindcrossfit.com, um, there's a link to be able to contact me. So, Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. As always, I'll recap some of my biggest takeaways after the conversation. My first takeaway from my conversation with Becky was about focusing on what your body can do rather than what it looks like. So many of us, myself included, have been able to experience this mindset shift after being introduced to CrossFit. Exercise should not have to be a punishment or used to burn off food that was eaten or that we feel guilty about, but rather it can be a powerful tool to use and move our bodies in the way they were designed. In my mind, it's so much more fulfilling to appreciate and push the boundaries of what our bodies are capable of than just focusing on what they look like. My second takeaway was about the importance of not tying your self-worth to your body. Becky said it best, my body, my weight, my looks do not determine how good of a friend I am or how academically smart I am or how good of an athlete I am. My body is not just to be seen, but to be used. CrossFit gave me new goals and PRs helped me to see my progress and make the journey to recovery worth it. I was getting better, getting stronger and finding myself, my confidence and my worth. I cannot thank CrossFit enough because it literally saved my life. Those are some powerful words. 
My third takeaway was about leaning on those who are there to help. It's clear that Becky's sister played a huge role in helping her to get to where she is today, from taking a leap of faith by introducing her to CrossFit many years ago, to living with her and helping her overcome her nighttime binging tendencies. I loved how Becky touched on the importance of being there for the people you care about, as they may be struggling with something like this and not giving up on them. Even if it doesn't seem like they want your help at first, it's likely the disorder talking. And if you can continue to show up and be there for them, no matter what, there will be a time when they're ready to accept your help. So I hope you had some great takeaways from this episode as well. 